We're about to dive into the turmoil regarding car dealers. This is AutoLine. Car dealers got hit by a one-two punch last week. First, Chrysler named the nearly 900 retailers it's getting rid of, and then General Motors started sending notices to 1,200 dealers that they would be losing their franchises. And there's more to come. GM's going to get rid of another 1,200 dealers before the year's out. And the impact is rolling across America. In many smaller communities, car dealers represent 40%, 50%, even 100% of sales taxes collected by those communities. Those dealerships also represent several hundred thousand jobs. I think most Americans will be shocked to see the impact of these closings. GM and Chrysler say they need to do this to become profitable, but do they? Is this really going to help them? Well, to get to the bottom of this, my guests today are Neil Baudet from the Wall Street Journal, auto analyst Aaron Bragman from IHS Global Insight, and of course we have someone representing the retailer side of the issue. Joe Serra, without a doubt, is a major player in the automotive retail world. This former co-chair of the North American International Auto Show runs the Serra Automotive Group, a huge organization based in Grand Blanc, Michigan, with over 20 dealerships spread across six different states. And it all started some 50 years ago with just one lone Chevrolet store owned by Al Serra. Joe's father, who in 1973 started acquiring other dealerships, until it became one of the top 10 privately held automotive groups in the country. And even though it does own a few import deals and will soon be selling the new Fisker Automotive Premium Green cars as well, for the most part, Sarah is GM through and through, and there's the rub. Along with the Chevy, Cadillac, GMC, and Buick stores that will stay a part of the new General Motors, he also owns some stores that will be going away, including four Hummer, two Saturn, and a Pontiac dealership as well. We've got a great discussion on dealers coming up right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now, all about what's going on on the automotive retail side of the business with Joe Serra from Serra Automotive. Great to have you here on the set of AutoLine, Joe. Thank job. you so much. Also, Neil Baudet from the Wall Street Journal and Aaron Bragman from IHS Global Insight. Great having both of you guys Glad here, to be too. Here. Well, Joe, first question. Did your stores make the cut? I know you've got both GM and Chrysler stores. Are you safe for the time being? Yeah, we're safe for the time being. And, you know, it's such an unfortunate situation that did occur. But uh, I have one Chrysler Jeep store in our portfolio. And that on Thursday, we did receive word that we're fine there. And then uh, I've got about 14 GM stores. And Friday, received notice. We didn't receive notice because they didn't get notified if you weren't on the, um, I guess, the list. But uh, since we didn't receive letters, we felt good there. But it's my understanding there's still another round to take place uh, in the near future. So, you know, you're a little bit still on pins and needles. I, I mentioned to somebody that when you're in school, you did pretty good on your tests and thought you did your homework and felt good about what you had. But until the final grade's out, you're still... You still, still don't that. know, yeah. You still don't know, but um, I feel confident. One of the things that a lot of people have asked me about is, how's this 
cutting all these dealers really going to save these car companies any money whatsoever. I mean, independent uh, businessmen is what these dealers are. If they lose money, hey, they lose money. The factory doesn't lose money. Plus, I got to believe by brooming out so many dealers, that represents lost sales, lost parts business too. How is it going to help the company save money? You know, that, that's really a great question. And uh, it's really a twofold question. One was saving money, and the other was how, what, how, what impact would it have? And, you know, from a cost standpoint, and again, I'm not privy of their costs, but uh, there's very little. You know, it's our buildings, our land. We pay for the inventory the minute it comes off the line. Uh, we promote it. We pay our salesperson. So from that standpoint, there are no costs. They do obviously reach out and contact us periodically. But ironically, when they're doing that, it's to sell us product because we're their customers. So in essence, in Chrysler's case, 25% reduction, GM's announced possibly 42. That's, that's ultimately what they're saying is we're going to reduce our customer base by 25 or 42%. I, I wouldn't want to reduce my customer base by that. So that, it's a very I'm risky I mean, the, decision. The 25% is, is the number of dealers, but I understand it represents 17% of sales. Correct. Correct. But to me, still, that shaves 17% of sales right off the top. Yeah, I don't think any industry or any business can afford to do that. Now, the spin they're playing on it, and there's some merit to it, is obviously by reducing the number of dealers, it ultimately, in the throughput, it ultimately will allow those that do make the cut, that do survive, a chance to get a proper return on investment, be able to invest in their facilities, invest in their people, invest in you know, the customer base. So they're hoping to have a stronger dealer network versus today maybe a weaker one. That's the argument that we'll find out. We'll find out if that holds true. But that's really the only spin that I can see they, they can place on it this time. Well, I can tell you that uh, one idea is, is that by having uh, fewer dealers but much more profitable dealers, you're able to get a, a bigger marketing hit. I did a, a story about a year ago, went out to L.A. Uh, out there, there was a, a big Toyota store, had a four-story uh, garage. They had 1,000 vehicles in inventory and spent $25 million a month uh, on advertising. Right down the street, there was a Lincoln Mercury dealer. They had a tiny little showroom. Uh, they had um, fewer than 20 cars in inventory, and the dealer said, I, I don't do any advertising. It's all word of mouth. I've had customers for years, and he was selling anywhere from 10 to 20 cars a month, but that was a real stark contrast. In just a quarter-mile difference between these two stores, he had this one Toyota dealer that really was making an impact in the market with $25 million in advertising a month, and a guy down the street that, uh, you know, for Ford, um, wasn't uh, pulling nearly the same kind of weight. Mm -hmm. They're also looking, I think, to reduce the level of competition that they have. If you've got a market that's got a number of Chevrolet dealers mm -hmm. and also has the Ford and Honda and Toyota, you have those Chevrolet dealers competing with each other in many cases. I mean, you're, you're, you know better than I do. Uh, competing with each other for maybe the same the same customer if they're mm -hmm. going in and they're a Malibu tender, they want a Malibu, they'll shop it around because it's convenient to do so with a number of other dealers to try and get the best price for that. So not only does say Chevrolet dealer A have to compete with B, C, and D, but they also have the Ford, the Toyota, the Honda. The idea is to try and reduce some of those proprietors, some of those GM dealers, so you can better focus on, on the, the, the competitor brands as well, I would but, imagine. But Joe, I'll put it to you then. If, if you close down the Chevrolet dealer hypothetical example that right. Aaron gave here, are the remaining Chevrolet dealers all of a sudden going to see their business go up that much? Well, it's not going to go up 100%. If you, you know, for every customer that used to buy it at this location, they buy for several reasons. One is obviously the brand, but there's other factors as well. It's relationships with the salespeople, with the customer, with the service department, with the owner, whatever it might be, and proximity locations. So they run a risk there. You're not going to keep all 100%. And you know, your statement, 
you know, when you said their Chevy dealers would compete against each other, well, that's life, that's business. And quite frankly, the consumer's winning in that situation. So we, I could argue in this, by having fewer, maybe the consumer doesn't win, although I, I know they will because we're just, being car guys, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we just got to give stuff away. That's the way we are. Right, right. We just don't know how to hold gross. But, well, that's, that's, but that is yeah, a concern. And I just, the problem I have, and you know, again, I, I, I really, really struggle with this because we are independent business owners, men and women. It's our life's invested in this. Um, we go get loans. We personally guarantee it. We have a relationship with our employees that we're committed to. And somebody makes a decision. Not the marketplace didn't make the decision. But somebody, and in my opinion, I still, it's Washington had to make the decision that we're going to thin the ranks. Let the marketplace thin it. And since we're really not costing them any money, you know, I know it'd be nice, but those that can survive will survive. Those that can't, unfortunately, will make a decision, a business decision that America's all about. And I really, I, I just struggle with that, you know, and I hate to win. If I am a survivor, and I believe I will be, I hate to win because somebody took away your franchise. I'd rather beat you and compete against you and win by give, offering the right service at a fair price, quality people. That's how I'd like to win. That's you, where I you, come from. You brought up an interesting point, one that I'd, I'm interested to find out from you, is that one of the ideas that has come with the shrinking of dealers is that it is going to cost the consumer more money if they don't have that ability to mm -hmm. comparison shop that one model among four or five different dealers conveniently. Is it going to cost them more money in the long run? Well, the word conveniently, every dealership in the nation is one click away from being. We're all one inch away. So that, and auto dealers and any business today, we know what the market is and we know what we can afford to charge for a product. And then when you get too high, especially in today's world of technology, you'll get brought right back in line. So consumers aren't gonna lose. Where they, where they might be impacted, it's not on the purchase, but maybe a little bit more inconvenience from getting maintenance and service because they might have to drive a little further under the warrantable period of time. That would be the only inconvenience I see to a consumer, potentially. Now, we could argue, though, if you got a stronger dealer network, there'll be nicer facilities, more trained people, and that could be. I mean, I, I, I see the spin you know, there. Here's the spin, and this is where I, I, I'd ask you about this, Neil, because Toyota does have big stores, much more throughput. What is it, an average of 1,200 cars a year, sure, 1,300 cars yeah. a year? Right. They dominate the bottom of the list when it comes to customer satisfaction. And this has been going on for years, and Toyota recognizes it's a problem, and they've been trying to address it. So again, I don't buy the argument that all of a sudden customer satisfaction is going to increase with dealers who have more throughput. I'm not sure that, that customer satisfaction increases. I mean, there, there are some factors going on with customer satisfaction related to expectations when you walk in and what you expect in terms of the, the kind of treatment. Um, but obviously, even if they have uh, lower satisfaction scores, people still aren't going away. They're not walking away and, and saying, I'm going to buy, uh, buy Chrysler or Ford, uh, or, well, certainly GM has more market share than, uh, than Toyota. But that, it, it's an issue, but it still isn't, isn't really denting their business. I'd like to know from you, Joe, uh, you're not on the list either for GM or Chrysler, but um, maybe you've gotten some advice. Is there anything dealers can do about this? We have seen some, um, some motions filed in the Chrysler bankruptcy court, but it seems that in bankruptcy, really, there's, there's no hope for the dealers of, uh, of trying to get um, uh, the, the, the judge to, to scale back the number of closures. You know, and obviously I'm not an expert in bankruptcy, nor do I ever want to be, although the last three months have 
learned a lot more than I ever thought <laughs> we I all have. We all have. Yeah. Yeah. I've literally met with, I mean, it's amazing what, how you have to educate yourself fast. Yeah. But your question is one where, and this is probably another thing that's sort of bothering me is it appears, you know, I know why bankruptcy laws were created, is to help a company that, to, to come out and emerge healthy. And if they owe me money, I run the risk. I know that every time I do business with somebody, if they file, I run the risk of losing money, mm -hmm. losing what they owe me. But in this case, it appears they're using bankruptcy laws to, to um, um, overtake franchise or state laws. And I don't know if that's the purpose for bankruptcy laws, but they're using it in that way. Mm -hmm. And I've been told, and it's my understanding, that this bankruptcy laws are going to trump the state and the franchise laws. Oh, yeah, and so really it then falls into play with this judge who's going to make a ruling. And he's going to hear the cases and the pleading, and the story is compelling from every dealer who's going to not only lose their business and their livelihood, but quite frankly, will probably file personal bankruptcy because we all sign. They're, you know, just it's going to be a disaster. That judge is going to make a decision. Whether or not they can appeal to him, who knows, but that's really the last ray of hope in my eyes for right now the Chrysler dealers and what I believe is going to be the GM dealer body when it folds, you know, comes to fruition here shortly if GM were to file bankruptcy, which ultimately is why I think they have to. Mm -hmm. because they cannot accomplish this, this reduction of the dealer network without that. There's other issues, reasons why they have to, but just stay with that alone to take the dealer count from X to Y without the protection of a bankruptcy, you can't do it because we do have many state franchise laws and they're all different by every state that would come into play. I gotta believe there's gonna be a political backlash once it's too late on this because, and, and you'd know this story even better than I do, but I, I was with some dealers from the state of Washington last week. Some of them rural dealers are in small mm -hmm. towns. One represented 40% of his community's sales tax base. Another guy was 50%. Another guy said he was almost 100%. I gotta believe a lot of communities are gonna go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We didn't know this was part of the deal. We're already starting to see that. We're starting to see a lot of these politicians are starting to get letters and concern calls from a lot of their constituents saying, hey, we've just realized that if GM goes under, we're gonna probably be losing our dealership. And we've got you know a couple dozen people that are employed here and they're a major com uh, campaign contributor to you as well. So now it seems to be getting the message out that if, if this actually does happen, it's not just a Detroit issue. It's not just a Midwest jobs issue. There's auto dealers all over the country, all over the all nation. All 50 states. Mm -hmm. All 50 states. Every community in, in the country has an auto dealer and would be impacted by these situations and is being impacted by the Chrysler bankruptcy. Are, are you seeing or hearing any of that? And I, oh, I yeah. imagine some of your stores represent a, a good chunk of the tax The base. numbers are staggering, quite frankly depending on the size of the store, but it's staggering, especially in each community, because we all drive up and down the streets, and usually an auto dealership is pretty, size-wise, is pretty significant. And now imagine in just, what, less than two years, maybe a year, we're gonna drive through, and you'll see vacant buildings. And the reason I say vacant, these, these aren't properties that you can just overnight turn. Well, A, today's economy. B, they're just, they're one-purpose, single-purpose facilities. So it's gonna take the right, situation. So you're going to see a lot of empty buildings and that will obviously impact the tax base of all those communities. And you know, car dealers, you know, we, we love to support, we love to get involved. That's how we sell cars, by getting involved and embedded in the community. So those little things we do with the little leagues and the high schools and all that, the parades. Charity. It's not a lot, doesn't it? But it, it's part of it and that's going to disappear. And um, we're going to talk about this day, this time, for years to come. We'll never forget it. What happened last Thursday and Friday? will forever be embedded in the United States, in my opinion, forever.
How are sales holding up at uh, your stores? Before, or in the months leading up to where we are now, mm -hmm. there was a lot of discussion that uh, Americans won't buy cars from a bankrupt company, that uh, if, if GM filed, sales would fall to zero, the company would, would collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, GM's not in bankruptcy, but it's widely expected they, they will file June 1st, and Chrysler mm -hmm. is. Uh, how are your, your sales holding up, and, and what are you hearing from customers who come into your your GM and your Chrysler store about uh, any any concerns they have, or or no concerns, or or, or you know mild concerns that they have. Uh, hopefully, I can answer this properly for you. The big concern for a company that were to file bankruptcy, why somebody wouldn't buy their product, the biggest concern was a warranty issue. Hmm. I mean, that was you know what happens if I buy it for warranty? Where do I go? And that's been addressed. You know, the government addressed that by backing it by the government, which that's not bad. That works. So they've addressed that. So that takes away that portion of the concern. That being said, as we all know, the new vehicle volume for all manufacturers, forget the ones that are close around the doorstep, for all manufacturers has dropped so severely, so drastically, so fast that it's just, it's mind-boggling. Used vehicle business has gone just the opposite. We're moving consumers that would have bought new to use. Now that has to do more with just the economy and people being cautious and aware of their dollars and spending a little differently than they used to in the past. Mm -hmm. has to do a little bit with the, the, the emergence of leasing from the market where people could really get more value for less monthly payments and that's sort of gone. Mm -hmm. So new all from all manufacturers has dropped severely. Use is really, really strong right now. Fixed is strong. Fixed operations is strong. You mean service? Um, service. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I apologize. Service parts body. That's that's strong right now, because um, people are spending money fixing up their cars versus replacing it. Keeping them longer. So that's the nice thing about an auto business. You do have really separate little entities, separate businesses inside the the roof of your complex. So, um, but new is is down dramatically and continues to be down. Um, the numbers are just you know. 60% drops, 40% drops, depending on manufacturers, and that's 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 large. That's versus a year ago. How is it in the last couple of months? Yeah, well, it just keeps dropping further and further every month, further and further. And um, fortunately, as you keep dropping, your percentages get less because you're it's, it's less of it. But um, it's it's going to take some time, and it's going to take um, our our consumers just getting confidence in their purchasing ability and power. And but it's it's not because of a manufacturer, not because of bankruptcy, just it's happening in all industries, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. That's one of the questions that I get a lot is what is it going to take to get people back into showrooms? And it's not a government scrappage bill, and it's not special no. incentives. It's general overall consumer confidence has to improve. People have to be comfortable with the fact that they're going to have a job next month or that their 401k value is going to come back mm -hmm. or that there's going to be payments that are, that are there. They're going to be able to keep health care mm -hmm. before they go off and start buying a new car. So that's really what we have to see improve first. We have to see the government get the economy back on track or get the market to get the economy back on track before people are really starting to, to be ready to make that purchase. One issue uh, that's connected to uh, the reduction of the dealers is, is the brands. I'd be interested in, in hearing what, what you think um, about the reduction in GM brands. Pontiac goes away, Saturn is up for sale, Hummer is for sale. Uh, yeah, we should point out Joe's got some Hummer and Saturn stores. I, I, so, uh, I'd be interested what, what, whether you think that is uh, is something GM should be doing uh, to to improve its competitive position, or, or what's your view on on the reduction of the brands? That well, it's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because earlier I said I hadn't been affected by the letters, but uh, in the course of less than eight months, I lost nine brands: um, four Hummer, two Saturn, two Pontiac, and a Saab. And the four brands from nine brands represented 40% of my GM portfolio, 
and in mo many of those cases, I built the Hummer buildings. I have the Saturn building, so I've I've obviously been impacted. Now I got some shuffling to do. Um, as far as the brands, I, obviously, I do believe that each company has to get to a size where they can merchandise properly their products. And I, I don't disagree that GM had spread too thin. They just had too many children to try to take care of and for design, for marketing, for this. It's not the people taking care of it. When you, when you eliminate Pontiac, I would, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably only 35 employees that reported to Pontiac, per se, if you can imagine that. <laughs> so it's not a head count, it's just more of the resources. So it probably had to happen, how you pick them, I, I, that's impossible, because there's a case and argument for every one of them. Um, and I don't know how they picked them, but uh, it's, it's, they do need to shrink, there's no doubt. Saturn, Roger yeah. Penske's interested. The mm -hmm. newspapers say you and David Fisher are maybe part of that whole thing. What can you tell us about that? Well, I, I could tell you that if, um, Mr. Penske's on a team. He doesn't mean, need many teammates. It'd be like uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, I've known Mr. Penske for many, many years, have tremendous respect for him, uh, for his, the way he does business, for the way he thinks and processes uh, information. I have the utmost respect for him. And I, I guess probably the best way to say it is I'm a resource for him. Um, obviously, I'm a Saturn retailer, so I'm a resource. And, I don't want people to read more into that than there is, and because uh, there really isn't. There, you can't. Well, I don't let's talk play about him in. maybe getting Saturn. Yeah, that I can. How talk do you about. get cars? What, yeah. What's the process? And I got to believe that's why he hired Tom Lasorda, who's been out trotting the world with the Russians, especially and Nissan, getting and trading products. But yeah, what, what, what do you sell? That's that's really one of the big questions that I've got as well. Is that if you're a private equity company or you're you're an independent group that's not a major automaker, what do you sell through Saturn? What can you do that GM, with all of its marketing muscle and design talent and manufacturing and platforms, hasn't been able to do with Saturn? What, what else can go in there? Um, there's, first of all, the, there's a retailer network, right. dealer network. One of the best in the business. In the Saturn world, we refer to ourselves as retailers versus mm -hmm. dealers. The retailer network, if you recall back when GM created it, was they went out and they selected what at the time was, they felt the the best of the bunch. And it was all brands, all manufacturers. And then they, so they selected those individuals and they really allowed them to go out and, because they were starting from scratch, place their facilities in locations that were better for today. And since it is a new brand, most of the locations are in the right spots versus, you know, I've got some facilities, I've been in 80 years, well the world moved around that location. So you've got great retailers in most cases, outstanding locations who will not have a product to sell. So if you have the ability to bring them product and merchandise in the future, then that's, that's the value because mm -hmm. you have a network already established. Right. Doesn't mean all of them would want to come on board, all of them would want to play, but it gives you a, a, a great platform to come into and get ramped up rather fast ah. with the right retailers. That's really the, if there is value there, that's what it would yes. be. And again, this, it's a long journey to accomplish that under all that's happening. It's a tall task. Um, he's, he's obviously capable of accomplishing tall tasks. He's proven that. Whether or not he can do it, um, you know, as a Saturn retailer, and I'll put that hat on versus being part of the, um, his resources. I hope he does, because otherwise I end up with two empty buildings 
come whatever time. Well, Look, we're, we're, we're out of time here for, for this show. Unfortunately, we're going to leave these cameras running, though, and we're going to jump over to our website at AutoLineDetroit.tv. You can join us there. But, Joe, Sarah, thanks so much for coming on for this thank broadcast you. version. Neil and Aaron, thank you guys, too. Sure. And, and I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. AutoLine Detroit will be off the air for the next two Sundays as WTVS gears up for its pledge drive. As always, we ask you to support Detroit Public Television, which is a source of great programming which you can't find anywhere else. But if you need to feed your need for automotive information, check out our website at AutoLineDetroit.com. You'll find our daily newscast, a six-minute recap of the top news in the global automotive industry, and on Thursday nights we go live with AutoLine After Hours, where I'm joined by Jason Vines and Peter DeLorenzo with some of the liveliest and most opinionated viewpoints on the turmoil this industry is going through. That's all at AutolineDetroit.com. But that wraps up this show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you all back here on June 14th.